Hi, I'm David Freudberg. Each week at the Humankind on Public Radio podcast, we strive to practice the simple art of listening. At times, it can feel like a lost art in our noisy world, and of course, not everything is worth listening to. But for me, when I'm able to get centered, listening can be almost a sacred experience, a moment of focused attention that accords the speaker a measure of dignity. If you value this too, please help others to find our podcast. Consider going to Humankind on Public Radio at iTunes and leave us a kind review. And thanks for listening. Humankind is produced in association with WGBH Boston and supported by the Humankind Program Fund and a special grant from the Henry Luce Foundation. Care is piecemealed, so you have one doctor picking away at your head, another doctor picking away at your stomach, one at your knee. Um, nobody's looking out for the whole person. And so I think, you know, in this fragmented system, this siloed system, where doctors are incentivized to just look at little pieces of you, um, and they're paid to take care of little pieces of you, and they're, ca- they're paid to treat you after you get sick, not, and they're not paid to treat you to prevent you from getting sick in the first place, that's why we don't have a healthcare system. We have a disease care system. A medical system in crisis and a look at promising solutions through the lens of a young documentary filmmaker. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. The doctor will see you now, but don't expect your visit to last longer than seven minutes on average if the policies set by some health insurance companies are followed. And from that brief encounter, you probably won't develop much of a doctor-patient relationship. Instead, you might come away with a prescription for costly drugs whose side effects you may or may not be able to tolerate. For millions and millions of patients, this is the unsatisfactory state of American health care. And for Aaron Martin, a young physician in Oregon, it can be dispiriting. You have to play this game with what does this patient need and how much time am I willing to spend with them because the administration is telling you, you need to see more patients. We're in the red. And if you try and buck the system, someone says, what can we do to get your productivity up? I'm not interested in getting my productivity up. I'm interested in helping patients. This is a scene from Escape Fire, a documentary by the young filmmaker Matthew Heineman, who set out to diagnose American medical care. The more and more we filmed, the more and more I realized how deep the problem was. I think we all have a sense that our system's broken. I think we all um, have experienced it to some degree, whether it's personally or, or someone in our family or a friend. Um, but to really be on the front lines and, and see this in, uh, in rural clinics and emergency rooms, uh, in the military, I think really gave me the, a much grander scope of, of how perverse our system is and that profits on sickness, not on health. And I think that what we show in the film is how do we shift that oil tanker of a disease care system to be a true healthcare system, a system that benefit you know, that profits on health, that promotes health. Um, it's not a system we have right now. 
Matt Heineman and his co-director Susan Frumke followed the stories of several patients trying to navigate a medical system that can fall frustratingly short of true health care. In one case, we meet Robert Yates of South Louisiana, a young infantryman who was injured during military service in Afghanistan. I came to Walter Reed. I was on Valium, just for the anxiety. I was on antidepressants. But I was on Trazodone, Clonopin. I was so dependent on my pain medication. When you're injured, they feed you, feed you, feed you, feed you. All this stuff, it's addictive. It is so addictive that I'd rather be shot again than go through withdrawals of coming off that medicine. No soldier should have to go through this. I think the military storyline of the film is really one of the most uh, talked about and, and moving stories in the film. And I think people always ask us, you know, how do, why did we feature the military or, or follow Sergeant Yates in a film about healthcare? And for us, um, the military really was a microcosm for the rest of America in that they had this sort of default reliance on medications. Uh, you know, you can't almost open the paper any day and not read about over-medication in the military, suicide in the military, uh, you know, the, the epidemic of, of post-traumatic stress disorder. And so we knew that this was a problem. We also knew that this was a problem that the military is trying to address. And Sergeant Yates is a, a very young man suffering from chronic pain right. and very severe psychological struggles in the form of PTSD that afflicts so many service people who have come back. So he was a candidate under the usual system for a heavy regimen of medications. Yeah. So, so again, we were trying to find, uh, highlight people in the military that could illustrate this problem over medication and also find somebody. Uh, we knew that the military is trying to look at outside-the-box ideas on how to fix this problem through alternative and complementary medicine. We went to Germany to uh, film a study in which the military is trying to use acupuncture instead of medications on this medevac flight from Germany back to Andrews Air Force Base. Before this flight, I met this young man, Sergeant Yates, uh, very uh, snowed under just a, a cocktail of, of drugs. I mean, he was so heavily medicated in the early scenes of the story that you showed that he was borderline catatonic. The nurses and the doctors on the plane essentially can't figure out what, what drugs he's on. He's on so many drugs that his blood pressure drops. It kind of becomes this emergency situation. Uh, we follow him on, on this flight and then ultimately follow him for about six to nine months afterwards. Um, he he goes immediately goes to Walter Reed. And after a friend of his uh, dies from a prescription drug overdose, he realizes that he doesn't want to continue on this path, and he enters into a special program at Walter Reed, uh, which is actually no longer funded, as a side note, but that you know, provided him with uh, meditation, acupuncture, uh, group therapy, 
And through this program, he essentially got off all the medications and uh, thrived. And, and so it's this really amazing arc from somebody who's, you know, snowed under countless drugs, who's broken both spiritually uh, and physically, and who ultimately walks out of Walter Reed on his own two feet. The Escape Fire documentary, which has been shown in theaters and on CNN, takes a thoughtful, sober look at the topic of improving our medical system and the cost in human suffering of failing to do so. But when Washington took up health care reform in 2009 in the debate that resulted in President Obama's Affordable Care Act, the tempers of some Americans flared. This is about the systematic dismantling of this country. You have awakened the sleeping giant. We are tired of this. This is why everybody in this room is so ticked off. I don't want this country turning into Russia, turning into a socialized country. My question for you is... We started making the film in 2009, just as the healthcare debate was heating up. And I think, um, like many Americans, we were confused by what was happening. And... From what we are hearing and from what was mainly being discussed in this very polarizing, hyperbolic uh, debate was really about access to care. And that was addressed in the law. But the idea of curb- curbing health care costs really was not addressed by the law. And so I think that's uh, kind of what remains now is, is how do we how do we... F- how do we address the problem of skyrocketing healthcare costs? I mean, we, and, we're spending. And, and looking back, the hyperbolic discussion about death panels was how this heated, crazy debate dealt with the question of costs. It it basically became so histrionic that costs could not be discussed meaningfully. In this debate, we we never really talked about our healthcare system. <laughs> we never talked about what's actually wrong. It became a bunch of, you know, ad slogans, death panels, rationing of care, um, you know, things that stifled any really progressive, meaningful discussion about how do we change the incentives in our healthcare system? How do we change and make a more efficient healthcare system? You know, these are all things that, that people on both sides wanted to discuss, but there's a, you know, minority of people that really took the spotlight and, and be, you know, created this polarizing debate. Uh, that's really precisely why we made the film Escape Fires, to try to understand how did this perverse system come to be? Why did it not want to change? And also highlight people out there who are trying to trying to fix it and really rein in these these skyrocketing costs. What are your thoughts about the ethics of profiteering in healthcare? <laughs> it's a very interesting to think about. Is how does capitalism and health? How do you reconcile those two things? How do you reconcile an insurance company that's beholden to stockholders, an insurance company that's supposed to be providing care for people, but has to meet, uh, you know, their quarterly uh, marks for, for their stockholders? It's a very interesting thing to think about. Um, you know, for for me, I, one of the most intellectually interesting things was try to understand why do we not pay for prevention. If we know that 75% of healthcare costs go to diseases that are preventable, why are insurance companies not paying 
to prevent these diseases from, from happening? Why be, do they- Because presumably they would actually increase their profits if their expenses to treat preventable diseases were reduced. You would, you would think that they would want to be more efficient in, in, in doing that. So what's your conclusion? Well, that's a, you know, a question that I, we, we feature uh, Wendell Potter, who is a former insurance executive uh, who since left the industry and has been speaking out against his practices. Um, and that was one of the first questions I asked him is, you know, why don't you pay for prevention? And he said, well, you know, we, we look quarter to quarter. We, we look short term. The, the average time that, that you're my customer is, you know, three to five years. Investing in prevention, investing in keeping you healthy to prevent some amorphous disease from happening 10, 30, 40 years down the line isn't isn't uh, cost effective for us when you're no longer going to be our, our customer. So, you know, it's a harsh reality, but that's a fact. We're talking with Matthew Heineman, co-director of Escape Fire, a documentary film about American health care. It critiques our industrialized medical system and considers some low-cost but effective lifestyle changes that are often overshadowed by heavy reliance on prescription drugs. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. To obtain an audio copy or download of this segment and to learn more about the film, check out humanmedia.org. One point the film makes strongly is the role that our lifestyle behaviors, diet, exercise, the way we manage stress, play in the state of personal health. That's a huge factor in medical costs. Why do you think it hasn't been very central to our debate over the healthcare system? <laughs> it's a really complicated thing, personal responsibility. You know, it's something that is intrinsically part of conservative thought. It's something that's, uh, you know, also valued by liberal thought, personal freedom, personal responsibility. And I think one of the stats that really was striking to us in, in, in doing research, we did about six to eight months of research before we even turned on our cameras, was, was the, the stat that roughly 75% of healthcare costs, literally three quarters of healthcare costs, go to preventable diseases. Um, Diseases that could be preventable if if people change their lifestyle, and um, you know that's type two diabetes, that's heart disease, some forms of cancer, and and so we really realized that lifestyle change, and you know the American way of life was was a huge huge part of this equation. Again, it's a very complicated thing, and 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 something that people for decades. Uh, probably for you know centuries have really been trying to understand is how do we actually empower and incentivize people to live healthier lives um, you know dr ornish who's one of the main characters in our film dr dean ornish dr. from the bay area you know is a, is a very prominent uh physician who spent decades showing that lifestyle uh medicine you know changing your lifestyle changing how you eat how you respond to stress uh, how you exercise can actually reverse uh, coronary heart disease, and he's shown this scientifically. 
but it's hard. You know, his program requires a lot of work. It requires money. It requires, you know, major buy-in from the individual. And so I think, you know, we as a society really need to figure out ways to incentivize and empower individuals to take better care of themselves. And it involves psychological factors in terms of a person's emotional makeup and their willingness to make commitments. And it also involves environmental factors, the bombardment of advertising for what most of us would have to admit are fairly unhealthy behaviors, but that we're sort of seduced into doing because somebody's making a lot of money off of it. We doctors are paid to do more to people. They're not paid to sit there and talk to people and talk about nutrition. Uh, you know, one of the most striking scenes in the film is is with a, a young woman, uh, Yvonne, who, who's had countless, countless stents put into her chest, um, many of which could have been prevented through uh, simply talking to her and figuring out what's wrong with her and, and changing her life. I just had been ignoring it because I thought, you know, I'm only 34 years old. I can't be having heart problems. But one evening, I sat straight up in bed with the worst chest pain. So I went into the hospital, and they told me I'd had a heart attack. I was 35 at the time and was scheduled for open-heart surgery. And I thought, once I get this, I won't have the blockages anymore. You know, they'll actually fix it. Little did I know that it was followed by years of the same thing over and over and over again. A heart cath, get another stent. Heart cath, get another stent. Until my doctor said to me, I don't know what else to do for you. There's nothing else I can do. So how do you explain this kind of almost bizarre disconnect where, as you say, it's just common sense and there's ample medical research to prove it, that diet plays a key role in all aspects of our health, certainly heart disease, but there's very little content about nutrition in terms of what doctors are counseling to their patients. How do you explain that? <laughs> it goes back to medical education that's not taught in medical schools. It goes back to how we pay for care. We pay. F we have a fee-for-service system, and that essentially means that we pay for uh, each service that a doctor to does has a fee associated with it. And what that essentially means is that doctors are incentivized to do more. They're incentivized to give trinkets of care, as, as Dr. Berwick in our film would say. Care is piecemealed, so you have one doctor picking away at your head, another doctor picking away at your stomach, one at your knee. Um, nobody's looking out for the whole person. And so I think, you know, in this fragmented system, this siloed system, where doctors are incentivized to just look at little pieces of you, um, and they're paid to take care of little pieces of you, and they're, ca they're paid to treat you after you get sick, not, and they're not paid to treat you to prevent you from getting sick in the first place, you know, that's, that's how that happens. That's why, again, we, we, we don't have a healthcare system. We have a disease care system. Matt Heinemann's impressive work as co-director of Escape Fire was not the career path he imagined as a history major at Dartmouth College. His dream was to become a teacher, but he says he was rejected by Teach for America. 
On a whim after graduation, he and some friends decided to drive around the country and make a documentary about what it's like for his generation to be young in America. And he fell in love with filmmaking in spite of the challenges it presents. I think as especially network television, cable television, uh, print newspapers, radio, I mean, you, you can't look any at any, pretty much any organization out there that whose budget is not getting cut right now. And I think what the first place that gets cut in almost all these organizations is their sort of long-form editorial department. It's what costs the most. Um, and But I think it's, it's that those in-depth stories, those stories where, where a journalist or a filmmaker or producer spends weeks, months, years, you know, immersed in a subject. I think that's different than finding those those sound bites that you need for the 10 o'clock news. You know, it's a different exploration. It's a different investment of time and money. There's great value in being able to sit with a subject for a long period of time, to follow human stories over a long period of time, see, you know, natural evolutions occur, and, and hopefully you know, uh, glean greater truths out of that time spent. A perspective pretty hard to gain otherwise. I I think so. I mean, you know, look at at anything in your daily lives. You know, if you're, look at a relationship with your girlfriend or your wife or your boyfriend or whatever it is, you know, if you, if you're getting a fight or something, you, you know, you, in that moment, you feel like nothing can ever get better or, you know, you step away for 10 minutes a day, you know, everything becomes crystal clear about, you know, what, what what she or he really means to you. And I think, I mean, it's sort of a cheesy uh, example, but I think it holds true with, with filmmaking or, or whatever it is, is that you really need that time and that perspective to, to sometimes get those, those greater truths. In recent years, documentaries have enjoyed something of a resurgence at movie theaters around the country. But it's a high-stakes profession with relatively few documentary projects becoming financially successful. Most practitioners hope to break through, but do it for the love of their craft and because taking on a big topic becomes a personal odyssey. Matt Heineman. I think one of the, the most important pieces of advice that I got as a young filmmaker was that if you end up with the story you started with, you know you weren't listening along the way. <laughs> and uh, you know, this film we started out making a film really about alternative medicine, about complementary med- medicine, about integrated medicine. And what we ended up with was a film about American healthcare. And much, I think we're much better off for that. Um, you know, we were very fortunate when the film was released in theaters to get you know some good, some good critical acclaim. I think a lot of people said that the film really was a um, sort of apolitical, nonpartisan look, you know, at a at a deeply complicated uh, topic. And uh, you know, I think the film is not about Obamacare. We we decided very early on that we did not want to make a film about Obamacare. That we really wanted to make a film about sort of post Obamacare. How do we create a sustainable system going forward? Um, we want to make a film that was evergreen. I mean, you know, that would stand the test of time. Uh, we didn't know at the time when or whether the the bill would be passed. Um, and we really wanted to find storylines that would appeal to both sides. I think this this really polarizing debate, the most unfortunate thing, is that what it created was a whole lot of mis- misinformation. 
created a whole lot of confusion. And both sides weren't listening to each other. And, and, and I think what we ultimately got was, was uh, hurt because of that. Usually a documentary like Escape Fire, which runs about an hour and a half, involves filming many, many hours and then boiling that down to a tiny fraction of the original material. We had probably over 300 hours of footage that we whittled down to 99 minutes. Um, for the for our CNN version of the film, we had to whittle it down to 84 minutes. So it's a, it's a pretty... Uh, An even steeper Huge ratio. ratio, yeah. So what is the risk in that process of being so selective in what gets left in that the edited film, the final product, distorts what actually happened in the original setting where you filmed? You know, it's a risk. Uh, I guess I don't, I don't really spend time thinking about that risk because I don't really have a choice because I have to cut it down to 99 minutes no matter what. I think, I think what you try to do as a filmmaker is um, tell the truth. You know, that's... And, and, and tell you let the the footage dictate the story. I think you can often um, again going back to that quote, you know, if you end up with the story you started with, you weren't listening on the way. The first thing you do when you're editing a film is you sit there and you watch all the footage. So we watched every single minute of footage that we shot to try to say, and we actually before we did that, we wrote a treatment of, hey, this is what we think the film should be, you know, based off of sort of our memory of everything over the last, you know, year or so. But then we actually watched every single minute of footage, you know, as, as everyone does. And through that experience, you know, the, the idea of the film shifted and continued to shift. And because you were listening. Because you were listening. And, you know, I think we had treatment V1 before we screened the film. I think we ended up with treatment V, like, 18 by the end of it, you know. So you're constantly evolving and changing based on what the footage is telling you. And the total period of time it took you from beginning of research till the final cut? Um, we really st- we started making the film in the summer of 2009, and the film we premiered the film at the Sundance Film Festival in January 2012. Um, and we really were, were, were cutting and fundraising and working up until that final day that it actually played in a theater at Sundance. So. How much of a burden to you in the process is fundraising? Huge. <laughs> Huge. I mean, you know, it's it's the unfortunate uh, thing about making documentary films is, you know, unless you're um, making it for a network or a distributor, you know, our film was completely independent, so we had no, no influence from anybody. You know, we had one investor, and then the the two thirds of our budget, the majority of our budget came from tax deduct tax deductible donations from individuals all over the country. Hundreds of people all over the country gave to support our film. Um, Why were they motivated to donate to a film? <laughs> it's a good question. I think you know they share this belief that our system is broken, but that there's a different way of doing things. Director Matt Heinemann and co-director Susan Frumke titled their film Escape Fire, based on a 1949 firefighting incident. A team of smoke jumpers had parachuted into a section of Montana where they hoped to quell a raging forest fire. 
When the wind direction shifted, the Belays began ascending the hill where they were stationed, putting their lives at risk. A visionary firefighter had the counterintuitive idea to light a match around the immediate area where they stood. This had the effect of consuming in advance the fuel the approaching fire would need, thus saving his life. The unsustainably high cost of American health care may require similarly imaginative solutions. Listening to Humankind, I'm David Freudberg. Studio recording by Antonio Oliart Rose. Editorial assistance from Thomas Royal and Kathy Graham. Webmaster Brian K. Johnson. Special thanks to Tony Buck. Our program is produced by Human Media in association with WGBH Boston and Connie Goldman Productions. Program development provided by Shart Media. The executive producer is David Freudberg. Please subscribe to our free weekly podcast. The title is Humankind on Public Radio. You can find it at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, NPR One, and all major podcast services, as well as through our website. Again, the podcast title is Humankind on Public Radio. And if you'd like to support our program, please visit humankindpodcast.org. And at the top, click on How You Can Help. Thank you. This segment, Escape Fire with Matt Heinemann, is Humankind Program number 192. You can hear more episodes of our series at humankindpodcast.org. That's humankindpodcast.org.